Good morning, everyone. My name is Doug Brown. I was at man camp, and it smelled so bad I came home. So I get to be here with you this morning. No, I'm joking, but I was there. Um, I'm the high school pastor here, and I'm excited to continue our Ephesians series with you this morning. But before we get there, before we talk about the topic for this morning and, and move on to that, I just want to ask you a question, and it's this one. How are you doing? Are you doing okay? And I want to take a break just for a brief moment and do something we don't normally do and ask you, are you getting the Better Together Ephesians series? Is it making sense to you? Yes? Here's how we're going to find out. I want you to turn to your neighbor for just a brief moment and ask them first just... How are you doing? How was the week? How's it going? Uh, if you're by yourself or you're no one around you, uh, you can find someone. Just ask them, how are you? And then I want you to fill out this sentence. One of the major things or themes that I'm seeing in this Ephesians series is this. Are, are, you, are you picking up on some of the major things that are, that are being put out in this Ephesians series? Because this morning, we take a kind of a turn, right? Based on one of these major themes, Paul is going to give us a good teaching moment, right? But we have to get the theme. So I just want to, I want to know, it's too big of a room to do it as a, you know, big group here. So turn to your neighbor, ask them, how are you doing? And what, what do you feel like some of the major themes are that are coming out of this Ephesians series? Make sense? All right, talk for just a few minutes. Okay, if you could... Make sure you throw out some of the themes that you're seeing. And as you guys are doing that, you can open up your Bibles to Ephesians 5 this morning. Ephesians 5. Are we all on board, though? We're getting some of the stuff that's out there, yeah? What, some of the major themes, and you could tell me if I'm on the right track or, or if you can check to see if we're all on the same page. I think a major theme, obviously you've picked it up, is that we are better together, right? That the community of believers is better together. We are like a body, right? And one body part can't say to another one, we don't need you. We're all better together. We all work better together. Another one, and this is kind of where we're going to launch off from this morning in Ephesians 5, and you can turn there, is that the idea of this, that our identity has changed when we come to Christ, right? The body of believers, when we come together, Christ has changed who we are. His uh, work on the cross, our salvation changes our identity kind of at our core, right? And then out of that, we have started the process of putting away and kind of pushing off the old man, right? The bad ways that we used to live, the bad habits that we had, the sinful way of life. We begin to take that off and push it away and we begin to put on our new self, right? I don't know if you remember, uh, there was this whole ser uh, thing where Matt Davis put on t-shirts. Do you remember that? That happened in this? Yeah, perfect. That's a perfect picture of it. That's a huge theme, right? So going off of that theme, we come to our passage in Ephesians 5. And what's going to happen here is Paul has gotten to the list, this end of this list of kind of things that we should be putting off and things that we should be putting on, right? We've talked about the way we talk to one another. We've talked about a lot of different things. And as we put off those new th old things, we put on the new based on our new identity. And what do we do? Well, let's pick it up right here. Ephesians 5 says this. Therefore, therefore, since you have a new identity, you've put off all the old, you've put on the new. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. 
just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. As we put off the old, our identity is changed. What do we do? We imitate our Father in heaven. We imitate our Father in heaven. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but about almost a year ago, me and my wife adopted a young boy named Matthew. He's an awesome, beautiful, cool little boy, kid. And as he came into our family, and in some ways, his identity changed, right? He was now a member of our family. We were the ones who were talking to him every day. We were the ones who were help, you know, raising him and teaching him things. And I kind of have fallen in love with just doing things and having him model me, right? I'll jump off something or I'll say something and he you know, tries to do it, right? Here's an example of my son Matthew trying to, in, in, not intimidate, I always feel like I wanna say that, imitate, although he does intimidate me sometimes. <laughs> imitate me, here's a, here's a video of Matthew imitating me, watch it. Matthew, try. Hey. Nice. All right, pretty good, right? I don't know why I thought that a two-year-old would get the mental concept of throwing your body weight. And I'm like, Matthew, you're two, but throw your body weight. He's like, okay. Right? He, that's, for a while, he was calling himself Hai. I don't know. I have no idea why, but his name is Matthew. Well, let's watch it one more time. I just want to see because it's adorable, and I want to watch it again. <laughs> throw your body weight. Matthew, try. Hey. See? Hi. I don't understand. <laughs> Nice. All right. He's trying to imitate me, right? He's trying to do what I'm doing. He looks at me and says, that's the way that I want to act that way. I want to live that way. I want to do that. So I'm going to imitate that, right? And as we become part of the body of believers, as our identity change and we put off the old man, put on this new person that has a new identity, one that has Christ on the throne, that has God our Father as our model and our role model, then our job then and our life looks like constant imitation of our heavenly Father. How is this possible? Well, in Galatians, Galatians 3.20 says this. In Galatians 3.20, it kind of gives the how this is possible. It says this, oh, I'm sorry, 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The, the imitation that we do, following Christ the way we do, is not something that we earned. It's not something that we pushed forward and got on our own. It is the gift of Christ that he came and died for us and provided for us this new identity. So our life then looks like imitation of him. He is the grounds for and he's the model for our way of life. Does this make sense? In the first century, this is very understood very clearly. Back when the, the first people who were hearing this were reading this or heard this, 
they understood this in a different way than we normally do. We live in a culture that has a lot of information out there. A lot of people are saying a lot of different things. And the way that you ascribe to or you believe in or you follow someone is you kind of just verbally affirm that that's what you do, right? I believe in this, right? I believe in that. I think that's right and that's wrong. And you, know, and you kind of verbally process it back then. In the first century, if you were to follow someone and if you were to believe in what they said, you were not only just saying that you believe that, you were actually doing that. I've said in here before, and I want to just remind you that the, the people in the first century, it was not enough just to say that you believed in something. Saying, believe, saying that you believed in something entailed that you acted that out, right? A good moral teacher wasn't someone who said the right things. They were the person who said the right things and lived them out, right? So you have a whole group of Christians who are coming to Christ for the first time in the first century in Ephesus, right? They come to him, they believe in him, they want to live like him. They look to Christ as their model of living ethically in this world. And they say, I believe in you, but it's not enough for them. What does their life look like? Imitation of Christ, living how he lived. It would never be enough just to say it, you had to live it out. And that's what Paul's, that's what Paul's calling these people to do, Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God. But there's a problem, and that's kind of the, the, the topic of this morning, right? There's a problem because the church in Ephesus is much like our, our world, right, and the church that we live in, the life we live in. Because as they were living there and as they were going about their, their daily lives, there were huge problems for imitating Christ because the culture they lived in did not live like that. I don't know if you know this, but do you know that the Christians back in early, you know, the Roman world were thought of as, believe it or not, atheists. Atheists. Why? Because there were so many Roman gods that the Christians did not believe in. There were temples that you worshipped at. There were places to go to do offerings and all these sorts of things. But the Christians denied that. And they didn't do that. They worshipped this one God. So the Romans thought of them as atheists, separatists. They didn't partake in the things that the Romans did. They didn't live like they lived. They were over there pulling themselves away. And they were lazy. They took a whole day off of work, right? They called the Sabbath. I can't believe they took an entire day off. What's wrong with them? They're lazy. They don't believe in any of gods, and they're all, they're all over there by themselves. And that's what this, this, these Christians grow up in, right? That's where they're living in. And they're constantly pulled back into the culture which they were part of. And this morning we're going to talk about one specific part, the sexuality of the Roman world, right? The sexuality in Ephesus where this church and these, these areas were. Matt and Eric have been to Turkey and they've, they've told us these stories about how there were, there were temple worship that was were a place of lots of prostitution and a lot of, of, of bad sexual activity, right? People would wear clothing, right? A, a tunic maybe. And the tunic would be completely see-through. And this would be like, you know, you're going to the market, which is see-through clothing, right? It sounds actually like something that might actually happen today. But, you know, just see-through clothing, right? Uh, a culture which is just completely destigmatized by sexuality. And that was normal. Prostitution at the temple was normal. They would sell figures, naked figures at the temples. 
And actually, Paul, people get mad at Paul because you're going you're gonna to drive us out of business if you keep calling all these people away from this. So Paul is writing this. And he's saying, be an imitator of your heavenly father. And that looks like there is no room in your life for immorality, impurity, and greed in your lives. Read with me as it goes on into verse 3, 5, 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is improper among saints. As Paul has been setting up previously before this, there's this way of life that you're putting away. There's this way of life that you're putting on. Imitate your father, put away immorality, impurity, and greed. And I broke them down, and you can look in your outline. You see, I actually put greed first in your outline, and I think uh, there's an important reason why I did that. In the original language and in the context of what we're talking about here, greed is at the center of this sexual impurity and immorality in the church in Ephesus, and in a lot of ways in our lives. You know, you're living your life, you're called to a higher standard, Christ has offered you salvation, membership in the body and the kingdom of heaven, but you really want to just do what you want to do. Your greed is the thing which is driving there and a lot of times our immorality. I have a class. I'm a, I'm a philosophy student. I have a class with J.P. Moreland, right? Let me tell you this quick story. It cracked me up, but I think it, it brought a lot of interesting points to my mind. This. We were learning about postmodern ways of thinking, right? And postmodern ways of thinking say that there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? Absolute truth doesn't really quite exist. We can't even really get to truth. We can't even really get to reality with our minds. Really, the only thing that we're left with is our language, right? Our language is the only thing that we can work with. And if you say something is true, really, all you're really saying is that you have the appropriate language within your culture to deem something true and, and ascribe the proper words to it, right? That's really all the postmodern, that's about as concrete as you can get for a postmodern, right? They would say, there is no truth. The only truth that exists is the construction of my language, right? So then I'm in class and somebody raises their hand and they say, how does this play out? Don't they see the obvious uh, like counter objection that you could just say, well, is that true, right? Is it true that what you're saying about the world is true? And then J.P. Moreland said, you know, it's funny that you say that because a famous postmodernist gave a speech at USC one time, this eloquent, beautiful speech about postmodern way of life. And so a student stood up and asked that same question. And he said, Isn't it, aren't you claiming that what you're saying about, you know, the world is true? And he said, no, it's not true. And they were like, what? He said, it's not true. Because if in your culture I'm using words that don't connect to reality or, or don't mesh in your world, right? If, if my language doesn't fit your world, then it's not true. And then it, well, okay, what are we doing here then? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And then the, the, another student asked their hand, raised their hand and said, what is the motivation for this way of life? What is the motivate? Why, why would you buy into this? J.P. Moreland, with a straight face, thought for a second. Hmm. And he said, you know what? I think they really just want to have sex with whoever they want, whenever they want. And we were like, what? <laughs> Wait, take him back. What do you mean? And he said, honestly, I know these guys. They don't live very pure lives. And at the center of it is a greed 
for preserving a way of thinking which allows you to live however you want to live and have sex with whoever, whenever, however you want. And Paul is calling the Ephesians out for the same thing. Do not slip back into a way of thinking, into a way of life based on your greed, which allows you to be immoral and impure. Do not allow yourself to slip back in that. It should have no place among you. It moves on. And then next in the outline, it it has immorality. Immorality basically breaks down into adultery, sexual relations with prostitutes, sexual acts. Based on your greed, do not let these things be part of your life. Do not even let them be named among you. But he takes it a step further. Impurity. Do not let any impurity, any impurity, do not let the way you talk, the way you dress, the way you refer to people, do not let any impurity. Why so extreme? Because we may think, okay, Paul is out to set up a to-do list for us. That's it, a to-do list. If you just do these things, then you will be holy. If you just avoid impurity, then you will be holy. If you just avoid all of that, you're good. That's not what's happening. What's happening here is Paul is basing, therefore, based on your new identity, this is the way you should act. It's not a to-do list. He's not trying to check all the right boxes. He's saying, based on your identity change, it should go and change you to a point where greed, immorality, impurity have no place in you because the core of who you are has changed. The core of who you are has changed. That's the whole point. Immorality, impurity, your greed is is put off. And what is put on? Imitation of Christ that looks like walking in love. So here's here's the problem for us even today. We have two kingdoms, right? And in this passage, there are two kingdoms. I'm sorry for the person who follows me on the, this is going to be hard for you. Let's just say this, the one that's all blue. I have blue in my face, right? Perfect. This is the kingdom of the world, right? There's impurity, there's darkness, there's sexual temptation and sin and immorality and greed. This is this world, right? And it's happening all over here. And we may be tempted to think, okay, let's just leave this here. Let's abandon that and we'll run over here. And we'll live in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God over here is much better, right? Over here is imitating God and is walking in love and is putting off all of that. If I can just stay here and live in this perfect little world, everything will be fine, right? And the disciples seem to come to this conclusion over and over and over again. What do they ask Jesus all the time? They ask, Jesus, so are you bringing the kingdom in full now? Is it time for you now to bring the kingdom in its entirety? Jesus, is it time for all of the bad to go away now? Now? And Jesus says, not yet. Because the problem for us is we want to keep that over there, keep that over here. But that's not the world we live in. That's not the culture we live in. The culture we live in is right here where we have sexual immorality here. But we also have Walking in love, imitating Christ. That's why Jesus tells us this kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. This kingdom is not one which is fighting the physical powers of this world, but the spiritual powers of this world. 
you then need to invest in this kingdom. But the problem is that there are, there are things everywhere. We have to live day in and day out in the midst of all of these things. Read with me in 5 verse 4. It says this. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. You have these two pictures of the kingdom. One of them looks like coarse jesting, silly talk, and I put in your outline there that that, the silly talk, filthiness, coarse jesting, at first glance may seem weird. We don't normally talk like that. Stop all that coarse jesting, right? Or, you know, or uh, silly talk. Cut that silly talk out. You know, people don't normally talk like that. What is happening here and what Paul's getting at is he's saying all of that coarse jesting, silly talk, all of it is, and you can read it in your outline, having a dirty mind, a sexually impure mind expressing itself in vulgar conversation. And this would happen repeatedly. I mean, imagine if your town, and maybe this, if you live in like Las Vegas, this actually might totally be true. But imagine a major part of your town is dedicated for idol worship and prostitution. You know, that's, it's, it's kind of what you're famous for, right? Ephesus, there's this giant temple. And that's what they're famous for. People are traveling from Rome, traveling from across the sea to come over to worship in this temple. And, and part of that is prostitution, right? You, ha- you would imagine that the way people talked there that their language would be incredibly vulgar. He says, not even that should be named among you. Instead, live into the kingdom of Christ. Live into what we're called here to be in the kingdom. And so our final point is this. What areas in our life are we giving into the culture of our time? Let's, let's be honest with ourselves here, all right? We live in a very sexually driven, provocative culture. And I want to even talk about greed, immorality, and impurity, right? Greed. We live in a culture which is driven by individuality individuality, and pursuing what you want out of life. I work with high school students, and I can't tell you how driven into high school students' heads it is as they grow up through high school that what you need to get out of this world is what you want. And if you're going to get what you want, you got to fight for it. You got to get the grades. You got to go to that school. You got to get the job. And it's all based on what they can do and what they want out of the world. So that when I, when I bring up Christ to them and when, when the kingdom of heaven is presented to them, what do they see? What do I get out of it? What do I get out of it? And a lot of us think the same way. What do I get out of Christianity? Because if I'm not getting what I want here, there are better ways to feel good. And specifically in the realm of sexuality, there are specific ways in which we say there are easier ways to feel good about myself. And I, I don't want to find them here. I don't want to heal. I don't want to deal with my darkness. I don't want to become better. I just want that. And out of our greed, we are driven to immorality. And immorality is simple. 
there are a lot of people. There are tons of people. There are th- hundreds of thousands of people in, in this country who are committing adultery, who are looking at pornography. There's millions of people probably looking at pornography, who are, who are rejecting, imitating Christ, and instead deciding to slip into and fall into our culture. And it looks subtle in different ways. I'm not going to wait till marriage, a relationship which God created, which can handle the physical level of a sexual relationship. I'm not going to wait for that. I'm just going to have sex with whoever I want. In fact, I'm not, I'm not only going to just have sex with them. I'll just, we'll just move in together. We'll just live like we're married, but we won't really commit and promise anything. We want to keep our options open, you know? And we fall into that. And the culture is set up in a way where things like pornography, things like living together, things like uh, having sex whenever you want with whoever you want, wearing inappropriate clothing, talking inappropriately, that's normal. That's normal. I can't, I would tell you some stories of our high school students that would, your, like, your eyes would peel back, right? What? That's happening? Yes, it's happening more than we ever know, Right? to our young people especially. This is the culture they live in, and it's normal. It's completely normal. It's not perverted for them. So we, just like in the first century in Ephesus, we come along and we say, we have a problem. I'm so sorry to say it, but we have a problem. Jesus has been creating believers who are countercultural for thousands of years. He's been creating people who say, this is the way the world says to do it. I understand that. But we are not of the world. We are of Christ. We are of the kingdom of God. And there's a problem that we as believers can't get past. And that's this. God exists. And I look at our culture and I say, I don't know what to tell you, but I have to, I I believe that God exists. And if God exists, then he transforms us and he purifies us and he makes us holy. We are are grace-filled when we should be vengeful. We are loving when we should be hateful. We help people when we should hurt people. We are pure when we should be perverse. And that's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And our culture looks at us and says, what is wrong with you? And we can only look back and say, we are not the same. We are of Christ. We've given our lives over to be with the Father. And what we're doing is we're imitating our heavenly Father. And that's what it looks like. Open your Bible. I want, I want you to look at this verse. It's in 1 John. 1 John 2, 16. How is everyone feeling? Good? Are you getting this theme? Yes? Are you getting it? Excellent. John is, in a lot of ways, you could consider him a pastor, Right? Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, is written to uh, churches in the surrounding area of Ephesus. John could very well have been a pastor to these areas, right? Asia, Asia Minor. So here's their pastor, right? Paul sometimes helped to think of him as a missionary. He set up churches. He traveled. He's a prolific writer, understood the kingdom of God, understood the way things worked. John, a pastor, working with people. He writes this and along the same lines. 1 John 2, we'll just start with 2.15. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says this, 
Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, let me repeat that, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. For the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. If you're wondering why, if you're wondering why live in the kingdom of heaven, why follow God, why be a Christian? Because the world is passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, living into the sexuality of our cultures, it's passing away, it's fleeting, it's vain. But those who live into the love of Christ, the love of God, those are the ones who live forever. My challenge to you is this as we close. Think about your life. As we sing maybe two more songs, I'll be at these prayer stations on either side over here. You can come and talk to me afterwards. Think about your life. Think about your, if you have kids, think about your kids' lives. I think if you have grandchildren, think about your grandchildren. If you have brothers and sisters, think about the, the community you live in. And think about the ways we are pulled, radically pulled into sexuality. Radically pulled into thinking that it is normal to live a certain way. And we're over here committing to living a life of love, following God. Think about the ways in which you've given in. Paul is encouraging his, his follow, these followers in Ephesus to notice that. Which ways have you given in and just lived that way? You need to stop doing that because your identity is different. Based on your new identity, you should be imitating God. I challenge you to think of the same thing about your life and your community. Which ways have we slid into thinking that our culture is normal? We shouldn't. Our identity has changed. We need to live into that. Pray for your family. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for your parents. Pray for your kids, your grandkids. And come and talk to us. Tell us what you're thinking about this whole thing. Let me pray for you. Lord God, thank you so much, Father, for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the situations that the early churches were in, that they're so similar to the situations that we're in. God, I pray that we feel the burden, the peace, the presence, the joy, but also the weight, Lord, of being in your kingdom, of trusting and following you. God, we love you so much. Help us realize this morning what our new identity is, that we are children of God. Lord, help us live that out in our sexuality. For us who are living like the culture, who have given in to the culture of the day. Lord, help them realize who they are at their core, their identity, and help them imitate you and live pure. God, we love you so much. We thank you for today. We thank you for these musicians who allow us to praise you through song. God, we love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.